coming up, finally unveiling our top three most disappointing D-backs from 2022 on today's Locked on Dimebacks podcast. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who always cares about a host of this podcast, Miller Thomas, of course, I'm a multimedia journalist, and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter, at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Look up Lockdown Diamondbacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you. My loyal listeners, of course, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube, Locked on Diamondbacks on YouTube as well, so go hit that subscribe button. But on today's podcast, we've been running this series for a while now. I believe today is part five, but it's also the finale because we are in the top three our power ranking of the top 10 most disappointing D-backs in 2022. And to recap the list, our honorable mentions, J.B. Wendelkin, Humberto Castellanos, and the fantastic duo of Jordan Luplo and Cooper Hummel. I think Cooper Hummel, once again, is killing it in the Arizona Fall League because that's what he does. And maybe we should talk about the Arizona Fall League later in this week because I know Jordan Lawler went down with a major injury, so maybe we'll touch on that on Friday's podcast and do a little World Series preview, some predictions, but let's finish, you know, recapping my list. I gave you my honorable mentions. Geraldo Perdomo was number 10. Number nine was Noah Ramirez. Eight, Haven Smith. Seven, Ian Kennedy. Six, Seth Beer. Five, Carson Kelly. And number four was Mad Bum. But checking in at number three, you guys might think this is a weird ranking for this guy. You might think he's too high. You might be like, why is he even on this list? He didn't even finish the season with the D-backs, but I still found him as a top three most disappointing D-back from 2022 because the first half when he was on the D-backs, he was completely trash. Then the fact that we got rid of this guy, I think further cements the disappointment this guy has not been, has been not just for this season, but the past couple of seasons. That is Luke Weaver because coming into this season, we knew he was probably going to get, to, get moved to the bullpen and he was moved to the bullpen Pretty immediately, he did get a chance to start, but it did not matter how Luke Weaver was deployed this year. He just wasn't very good. He was actually a lot better as a reliever than a starter, and we'll get into that later. But Luke Weaver was just never able to amount to the expectations that we had for him. And every year, it felt like we had to recalibrate our expectations for Luke Weaver because he flashed so much that first season in Arizona in 2019, back when he had a sub three ERA over 15 starts, and then. He got hurt, and ever since that injury, Luke Weaver did not look the same because during the pandemic season, it's like, wait, is Luke Weaver just a two-pitch pitcher now? He's getting shelled that year. He's getting shelled 2021, and then 2022, you're like, okay, okay. The last two years haven't been good. My expectations for Luke Weaver aren't very high. I still believe maybe there's a, a back-end rotation guy, a back-end reliever somewhere in there, but 
I, I can't have too much faith in him. He's still a guy with incredible stuff, still a guy that can rack up the strikeouts, just hasn't been able to put it together. But the silver lining entering the season was Brent Strom, so maybe I shouldn't be all the way out on Luke Weaver. Maybe I should hold, what, 5% of optimism, 10% of optimism for Luke Weaver just because of that Brent Strom effect. But once the season started... Once all the wish casting one went away and we got to see the actual production and results from Luke Weaver, once again, the results weren't pretty and not even Brent Strom could save Luke Weaver. And considering this guy might have been the headliner in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, like another reason why you have to consider him such a high disappointment for this year is because I contrast it with the fact that Paul Goldschmidt is more than likely going to win MVP this season. And both of the players from that trade... Oh, you know, two of the three, because also Andrew Young was in that trade. Two of the three, the two headliners, I should say, from that trade, Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver. Well, Carson Kelly was fifth on my top 10 most disappointing D-backs, and Luke Weaver's third. So two, so the two main pieces from that Goldie trade are in my top five most disappointing D-backs. Three seasons later, just a terrible trade, and just another reason why I'm like, Never trade your franchise star. It doesn't work out. The only reason you should is if you're like, I'm never going to pay this guy and I have to trade him because I'm going to let him walk in free agency. That's the case. If you're going to let your dude walk in free agency, which I guess the D-backs are going to do, then you have to. But I, I think you should always resign your stars and then maybe down the line trade them once they get a little bit older. But if your star is in the prime of their career until they're like 34, 35, you need to have the star... On your team, there's no salary cap. I don't even want to get into all the logistics why, but this is just another example as to why you should never trade your star player because the D-backs got two really young pieces back that people thought were going to be good. And you look three seasons later, and they might have been the two two of the top five most disappointing D-backs from 2022. So one reason why, or you know, one of the many reasons why Luke Weaver is number three on my top 10 most disappointing D-backs list. But let's also look at the numbers to see why Luke Weaver was so disappointing this past season. And one number that I thought was weird, because I always think it's weird when, like, Luke Weaver, a righty, against lefties. Okay, I guess this isn't weird, because that's the cross matchup that should take advantage. But Luke Weaver, terrible against left-handed batters, which, you know, should be the case. He should be worse against left-handed batters as opposed to right-handed batters as a right-handed pitcher. But he shouldn't be this bad, because... He gave up a 433 average and 985 OPS to left-handed batters. You're just never going to be a successful reliever or starter if that's the case. Excuse me. I hope you guys didn't hear that burp. Luke Weaver was also just terrible at home, which made me believe he just wasn't comfortable playing at Chase Field and why he probably needed to be traded and get a change of scenery because Luke Weaver at home, a 405 average allowed, a 1045 OPS. You're like, okay, that's one of the worst pitchers in baseball. But get this, on the road, Luke Weaver, he had a 250 average allowed, a 586 OPS allowed. At home, a 13.5 ERA and 7.1 innings pitch. He gave up 11 earned runs and 7.1 innings pitch at Chase Field. But on the road, three earned runs over nine innings. That's a three ERA. Luke Weaver was a good road pitcher. But I think being in front of Chase Field, the pressure, I don't know, was he putting pressure on himself? The fact that he kept, not performing in front of the fans and the fans kind of like not really being on Luke Weaver's side anymore. I wonder if there was like a mental pressure that he was putting on himself when he played in Chase Field because he knew the fan base really wasn't behind him anymore. And the more he struggled, the further that just cemented that belief and kind of became a self, self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, I got to try win over the fans by pitching 
better. And every time I pitch poorly, the fans aren't going to like me. And then he continued to pitch poorly, which only made the fans dislike him more. So I felt like it became maybe some sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy there. He was also um, terrible with two outs. Like You guys know my big pet peeves when it comes to pitchers, and one of them is when your pitcher can't come through with two outs, the time you're supposed to shut down an inning. Luke Weaver, 444 average and 1130 OPS when there's two outs on the board. Luke Weaver, also not very good when you attack him early in the count. On that first pitch, if you attack Luke Weaver on that first pitch he throws at you, a 667 average and a 1417 OPS. Players who swung at Luke Weaver's first pitch had a 400 average and a 903 OPS. Go attack Luke Weaver on that first pitch because when you attack him early in the count, you have a better chance of being very successful against Luke Weaver. And he wasn't good with runners in scoring position. Not shocked to anyone. A 526 average and a 1368 OPS allowed with runners in scoring position. By far the worst numbers I've read of any pitcher on our top 10 most disappointing D-backs list thus far. 368 average and 926 OPS allowed with men on the bases. And of course... He wasn't very good either in high leverage moments. Luke Weaver, a 1333 OPS allowed and a 556 batting average allowed high leverage moments. His batting average on balls in play was also just ridiculously high. I want to pull up the exact stat for you guys here because his batting average on balls in play, 424. And think about this, or excuse me, 434. That was his batting average on balls in play with Arizona because all the splits I just read you previously to that BABIP stat was his numbers in Arizona and not his numbers on the full season. So let's make that clear because his BABIP this season with Arizona, 434. Last year is 429. 2020 is 349. He has a career 332 batting average allowed. His hard contact stats allowed with Arizona just atrocious 90.7 exit velocity 42.6 percent hard hit percentage allowed like the numbers for luke weaver are just terrible the ops allowed by luke weaver 863 like there's not a lot of silver linings when you look at luke weaver stats over 300 average allowed on his top three most used pitches a fastball slider and changeup. so it didn't really matter what he was throwing opposing hitters were pretty much locking in on any luke weaver pitch that he had and he didn't get good results. The only good split that you can really find on Luke Weaver is in his one start for the D-backs in 2022, he gave up nine earned runs over 3.2 innings pitch. But in the 12.2 innings pitch he had as a reliever, a 3.55 year race. So maybe Kansas City can turn Luke Weaver into a decent reliever because he ain't it as a starter. And considering what the D-backs gave up for Luke Weaver, which was Paul Goldschmidt, their franchise star, the fact that Luke Weaver has just been a big disappointment with injuries and production since 2019 and what he did this season the fact that the D-backs felt like they had to trade him for a middling third base prospect who's like all right yeah Luke Weaver you're checking in at number three in my top 10 most disappointing D-backs from 2022 and one thing that also always disappoints me is my dress shirt because dress shirts in general I don't have a lot of comfortability is that a word there's not a lot of comfort there, right? There's not a lot of mobility when it comes to a dress shirt. They're just always tight. They're just never my size. And I'm just, I just don't want to wear them. I'm at work. I work at office desk all day. I'm doing graphic design. I'm on the computer. If I got to wear a dress shirt, it's like making my neck all tight. I feel like I'm choking. My pits are sweating. I got armpit stains. I, I'm tired of the dress shirt until I found out about the Roan dress shirt because 
The dress shirt was due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. With Roan's Wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the shirt. It's that easy. With Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I think I said machine washable. Weird. So the commuter shirt you can get the commuter shirt can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash locked on and use code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort with Roan. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. We just did number three, so you know what that means. Number two, of course, and checking in at number two on top 10 most disappointing D-backs in 2022, we got Mark the Shark. Melanson checking in at number two because Mark the Shark was a huge disappointment first. I mean, when you have a badass nickname like Mark the Shark, you got to back it up. You got to be vicious. You got to be swimming in the waters, just waiting for your moment to creep up. He's the closer. He's supposed to just be waiting in the waters those first eight innings of the ball game, and then come up in the ninth inning like Jaws and just snatch victory from the Jaws of defeat. But Mark the Shark was never able to do that this season, and it's a huge reason why I was so disappointed by him this year because my expectations for Mark Melanson, as opposed to like a Luke Weaver or Matt Bumgarner, I had legitimate expectations for Mark Melanson because let's remember, this is a guy who was coming off a season where he led the National League in saves. He had 39 last year. Also had a 2-2-3 array. In the last couple of years as a closer, he had a sub-3 array. He looked really good as a closer the last few years. He was an all-star last year with the San Diego Padres, so I had real expectations or Mark Melanson. I really thought this was going to be someone that was going to be a stabilizing force for the D-backs in the back end of their bullpen. The D-backs the last few years have been terrible with their closing situation. They've been terrible in save situation. They've been one of the worst teams in baseball when it comes to trying to close out a ball game. And I thought Mark Melanson was finally going to be the answer to the D-backs problems with the bullpen. At least one of the answers. The D-backs were still going to have bullpen problems. But I was like, all right. Joe Mantiply, Ian Kendi, Mark Melanson. We got some high leverage relievers that we could go throw out there and trust in a big moment. And if the D-backs have a lead after eight, Mark Melanson is shutting it down and giving the D-backs the win. But, of course, that did not happen. And Mark Melanson, unfortunately, was not that guy for the D-backs because when you look at the stats for Mark Melanson, he was 
Not very good against left-handed batters. 280 average and a 792 OPS allowed to lefties. That's not the worst thing in the world, but it's also not exactly great. He's another one that also wasn't very good at home. 579 ERA at Chase Field versus a 309 ERA on the road. Uh, I, I, I like my pitchers to at least perform good at home. Like when I go to the ball game, when I buy tickets to a ball game, I want to see the D-backs perform. And I do remember a game against the Colorado Rockies where Zach Davies went like seven or eight innings, had a great start. I was at that ball game, and then Mark Melanson just blew it in the ninth inning. And it was really disappointing to see. And so I was really upset about that. And Mark Melanson, he was all right in the second half, a 4.07 ERA, good in the last month of the season. But he was so frustrating because of how bad he was in the first half of the year when the D-backs had moments where they were playing competitive baseball, but whenever it was time to like get the W, Mark Melanson was not coming through for the D-backs with his 5-1-2 ERA despite actually racking up saves. I never felt confidence in Mark Melanson as my closer, which shouldn't be the case because this was a guy who was paid to be the closer for the D-backs, but he was someone that I couldn't even trust. And it's weird because when you look at Mark Melanson in save situations, he had a good ERA actually in save situations. And 20.2 innings pitch of save situations, he had a 2-6-1 ERA. So you're like, how is that even possible? Well, in non-save situations, he had a 5-8-6 ERA. In 35 innings pitch as a non-save situation, a 5-8-6 ERA, which is just really weird and so you're like okay so maybe he is a good closer and you just have to just leave him in as the closer I guess despite all else but that's not true that's not true when it comes to Mark Melanson and I really think the reason why his ERA looks good in saved situations is because Mark Melanson was like really good in extra innings because Mark Melanson by inning, had a 5-3-1 ERA in the ninth inning. So he wasn't good in the ninth inning all year. That's over 42.1 innings pitch. He was never good in the ninth inning. But in extra innings, somehow Mark Melanson pitched six times in extra innings, 6.2 innings pitch, hit a 1-3-5 ERA in those six games. He was elite in extra innings. And I think that's really what carried his ERA in those save situations is what he did in extra innings. Because best believe when Mark Melanson came in to close in, in extra innings, those were pretty much all save situations. So I think that is really what helps his ERA when you look at it in save situations. I think it's a little bit of fool's gold because I don't think he was a very good closer in those save situations because another stat you can look at, you know my pet peeve stat, your numbers with two outs, Mark Melanson, 840 OPS and 296 average allowed with two outs and never felt like, it always felt like when there was like, it always felt like when Mark Melanson came in to save, he would get like the first two guys pretty quickly and be like, okay, he got those two guys out too quickly. Like there's two outs on the board now. We know Mark Melanson has to make us sweat a little bit. And he always came through on cue because after two outs, he'd either walk the next guy or give up a double or something. It's like, all right, let's start to sweat a little bit. Let me pop my Advil for my migraine. Let me pop my ibuprofen because Mark Melanson wants to make us sweat it out a little bit. He was also not very good on short rest. Like a closer is supposed to be able to go maybe on zero days, maybe on one day of rest. And Mark Melanson on zero days of rest, 858 OPS and 375 average allowed. On one day of rest, 779 OPS allowed. So he is not a very trustworthy guy when he has little rest, which is just something you don't want to see. His strikeout rate was way down this season. His whip was way up. He had a 1.22 whip last year. 1.5 whip this year. His hits per nine went way up as well. Um, 
His walk percentage pretty much stayed the same. But for Mark Melanson, a very high contact percentage. The hard contact stats weren't necessarily pretty as well. Like a 79.2% contact percentage allowed is pretty high. When we look at the hard contact stats, 89.2 exit velocity, 39.2% hard hit percentage, both way up from last season. His batting average on balls in play allowed 315. So the contacts that were not there for Mark Melanson and his go-to pitch was the cutter, a 290 average and a 400 slugging allowed on the cutter. I really thought Mark Melanson was going to be the answer to the D-backs closing problems, but that's not the case. And we've talked about a lot. Like that's been the theme when ending these podcasts. We know what Mike Mike Hazen's homework is entering this offseason. He has to revamp the bullpen, and he probably can't do it all in one offseason. But we have to at least get two to three guys that we can trust, right? Like it's we have like two guys right now, Mantiply and Kyle Nelson. If we can add another two to three guys to the two guys we already have, and then maybe one of our young pitchers continue to impress, maybe Kevin Ginkel could continue to be a, a good reliever. And the D-backs have all of a sudden five relievers and a little bullpen that you could trust, but. Until Mike Hazen addresses those problems in the offseason, the D-backs are never going to be where they want to be. And Mark Melanson not being the answer to that problem was a huge disappointment. And that's why he follows. That's why he falls, or maybe he doesn't fall, rises to number two on the list. However you want to say it. Mark Melanson, number two, top 10 most disappointing D-backs from 2022. And of course, before we get on to number one, I first want to say thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Hey, I had to say it one more time, but don't forget to make your second listen today, the Locked On Sports Today podcast, because from the games that matter, the most from the games that matter to the most biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights. Only Locked On can provide Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Whenever you guys hear me stumble when I'm reading like an ad read, it's usually because the copy in the ad read is not the cleanest. So I'm like trying to work it out on the fly. Oh, that, that wasn't the cleanest typed out ad read. I'm sorry for taking a shot at my podcasting network there, but that one could have been a little bit cleaner of an ad read for me. But let's get to number one. Now our top 10 most disappointing D-backs from 2022. And checking in at number one. It, this one pained me to put him at number one because he was probably my favorite D-back entering the season, still on the short list of my favorite D-backs. It just, the D-backs have so much more fun talent now with the Corbin Carrolls of the world, with the Jake McCarthy's of the world. Like You actually have options now as a D-backs fan of who you want to root for. But I think number one for the top 10 most disappointing D-backs in 2022, I think has to be Ketel Marte, and I don't want that to be the case. I don't want that to be the answer, but the expectations for Ketel Marte, like they were built in, but they were also like subconscious. Like you didn't, your expectations were high for Ketel Marte, but you weren't also conscious of your expectations for Ketel Marte because it felt like he was a given. Like you're just like, all right, Ketel Marte is going to come in 300 average or around that, 800 plus to 900 plus OPS. 
Maybe it's a 12 home run. Maybe it's a 25 home run season for him. Probably 80 plus RBIs. But you're like, he's going to be an all-star. He's going to be the face of the franchise. And he's going to be the by far the best offensive player we have. Like, we saw what he did in 2021. And we we're like, okay, he did that in like 99 games. Wait till we get a full season of Ketel Marte in 2022. Coming off the extension. He's going to want to show the fans why he got paid. And I thought it was a bargain of a deal too. So I was like, okay. He's going to show out and show to the whole world why he's on the best contract in the sport. And it just didn't happen for Ketel Marte. And, uh, it, like, I've been looking through the numbers and watching, you know, all the games from this past season. Like, I really don't know why Ketel Marte wasn't normal Ketel Marte. Like, there's some numbers that suggest maybe it was just a fluky year for him. Like, some of the numbers are still pretty much similar to what he's done in years past. Felt like a lot of times he just had those atom balls where he make good contact and it'll just go to the opposing players, um, you know, glove pretty much the defense. Like I, I don't know what it was for Kenneth Marte. I do think there was times where his confidence looked a little bit shaken, seemed to get a little bit more rattled. But then there was also times I'm like, all right, Kenneth Marte's in a great groove. He'll look great for two weeks and then be cold for two weeks. So it was just such a weird season for Kenneth Marte. But the fact that. There was a stretch where he got it going. He got to the first half with good numbers. And then in the second half, he faltered once again. So you look at his numbers from the year. It's like, Keta Marte got it going for about a month and a half, two months there. But overall in the season, it was never, excuse me, it was never the Keta Marte that we were accustomed to, that we wanted to see the Keta Marte that could have maybe pushed the D-backs into the wild card when, you know, that last month of the season when there was like three and a half weeks left and the D-backs were like, whoa, are we seven, eight games back of the wild card? Do we actually have a chance? If we had great Keta Marte at that time leading the offense, maybe the D-backs make it a little bit closer. Maybe we still miss out on the wild card, or maybe we're where the Phillies are right now. That's probably too hyperbolic, but maybe at least we make it a little bit closer of a wild card race because let's look at some of the numbers for Keta Marte because, I, I do, again, I don't know what happened, but this was not the same Keta Marte we're used to against left-handed pitchers in 2022. Ketel Marte was very good against lefties, 812 OPS, 276 average. But against righties, Ketel Marte, 696 OPS and a 226 batting average. Not very good against righties in 2022. And like I said, he was really good. Or let me not say really good. He had good first half numbers, but that's because his May and June were phenomenal and he was able to make his first half numbers good. Because if you remember, he started the season very slow. His first 21 games of the year, 146 average and a 467 OPS. He was terrible that first month and a half of the season, but he got so hot the next like month and a half, two months after that, that his first half stats were able to rise to 271 average and an 812 OPS. But he regressed back to the mean in the second half because in the second half of the season, a 195 average and a 602 OPS for Keta Marte. And you're just like, what is happening out here? And I think one of the things when you look at his numbers, that's like really weird. It's like Keta Marte offensively is a lot better on the days where he doesn't have to play the field. And I want to know how much correlation there is there. Like, should Keta Marte be the full-time DH going forward? Because as a DH this past season, he had an 802 OPS. But when he had to play second base, a 694 OPS. And I don't even want Keta Marte to be the full-time DH. Maybe he could split time a little bit more there. But the D-backs are so loaded in the outfield. I'm like, you got to put a, a Jake McCarthy, a Alec Thomas, or a Stone Garrett in that DH spot. 
and keep Keta more uh keep Keta Marte at second base. But there could be days he plays DH and they put Rojas at second, Manny Rivera at third base. One of the things I love about the D-backs roster is the options and versatility that they have, the depth that they have. And so for Keta Marte, there are options if he has to play a little bit more second base or if he has to play a little bit more DH than second base in the future because his numbers were a lot better when he had to play DH as opposed to play in the field, which I do think is a little bit weird. Keta Marte was also just, which was shocking, not very good with runners scoring position. This is typically a guy that produces big time. He never has big RBI numbers, but he is someone that always comes through in the clutch for the D-backs, at least the last couple years. But this season, I don't know what it was for Keta Marte, but... I, was he putting pressure on himself because of that contract? Like, I don't know. But a 210 average and a 699 OPS with runners in scoring position, just not good enough for Keta Marte. It's not who he is. It's not indicative of who he is as a player. 230 average, 661 OPS with men on the bases. Like, Keta Marte is not the guy who struggles with men on the bases. He is one of the most feared players in baseball when there's men on because you know how good he is. And just a pure hitter, it feels like you put the ball in play and get a single at any time. But you didn't have that same confidence in Keta Marte this season. And especially if you were a starting pitcher, because Keta Marte was not very good against opposing starting pitchers. 216 average and a 692 OPS against starters. Not very good for Keta Marte. His BABIP and his ISO was also way down in 2022. Like his batting average and balls in play was only 276 it was 352 last year 311 in 2020 and 342 in 2019 like this guy's always been a great player when he puts the ball in play but this season not the case his iso too his isolated power just not there for Keta Marte it was 215 last year 264 in 2019 167 this past year and it's crazy because his hard contact stats were still phenomenal like his hard contact stats 90 mile an hour exit velocity 42 percent hard hit hard hit percentage like this dude still was crushing the ball when he got the barrel to it which is crazy but I think it's more about the quality of contact for Keta Marte because he had like he had the lowest contact percentage of his career below 80 percent for the first time in his career his barrel percentage and his sweet spot percentage was not as good as it has been in years past like when compared to 2021 sweet pot sweet spot percentage and barrel percentage were down this season his expected stats were down this season, and he was worked by fastballs and breaking balls this past year as well. So for Keta Marte, I mean, the expected stats were down. What he did against certain pitches were down. But then, again, some of the other numbers, like his walk percentage, his home run percentage, his extra base hit percentage, like his strikeout percentage, a lot of that stuff was still near around his career norms or at least what he did last year. So it's weird for him. Hard contact, he's still putting up around the same numbers. Walks, home runs, extra base hit percentage, like all that's still around the same. But the quality of the contact, I think, was really worse for Keta Marte this season. And against certain pitches, he wasn't seeing them the same way. So I don't know exactly what he has to do to fix himself. Like, I'm not a hitting coach. I don't know how to fix Keta Marte, whether it's his swing, the mechanics at the plate, his footwork. I'm not the guy to do that. I can only tell you what I see with my eyes, and hopefully there are stats to back up what I see because what I saw at the plate this year, Keta Marte just didn't look right, didn't look like himself. And so hopefully Keta Marte can fix what the issues were this past season because I still have belief in Keta Marte. I'm not going to enter next season with Keta, with, with recalibrated Keta Marte, Keta Marte expectation where I'm like, all right, 
maybe he's not the best second baseman in baseball because I still believe he's one of the top two to three, if not the best second baseman in baseball. I think he had a down year, but that just might be Ketan Marte. He just might be the one of those players that's good every other year because 2019 was his MVP type season. 2020, of course, not very good. A base in 2021, and then once again, not good this year. So Ketan Marte, I'm stealing you in fantasy drafts next year as a late round addition because I think you're going to have a bounce back in a major way in 2023 because you're going to see this podcast. You're going to see your number one on top 10 most disappointing D-backs. And I hope that lights a fire inside of you like Ren Goku of Demon Slayers. Set your heart ablaze and it will make you have a huge bounce back season next year. And if you want to talk about any of your grievances with me, you're more than welcome on the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight as we'll probably talk a little bit about Jordan Lawler in the World Series. Thank you to everyone for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen of the day. Go make your second list of the day. Locked on sports today. As always, um, come back tomorrow for more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.